and welcome back to Real Clear with Dr. Klein, the crossroads of politics and psychology. If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Welcome back. It is Thursday, September 28th, 2023, for a post-debate analysis. The second GOP debate was held just last night in the Reagan Library in Simi Valley. Okay, here goes. In terms of the opener, I was focused on substance versus pinache, especially at the Reagan Library, as well as the dynamics on stage. I thought it was a very good idea to have Univision, and they even spoke Spanish. And just two election cycles ago, this would have been unthinkable with the GOP, but obviously they're getting the sense of reality that there are 40 to 50 million Hispanic voters in the country, and they realize they actually need them as a voting base. Okay, good move. My first observation was the opening question, which the speakers really um, overstated a socialist premise, which is that uh, child care and access to child care was their first question. I wondered about the premise. What do you mean access to child care, like it's some sort of human right? How about the structure of the family and why our economy and society is careening toward children being looked after by someone other than the mother? Now, I realize this is important and vital, especially for the working class and in the lower echelons of society. I'm simply making the statement that, quote, access to child care, close quote, is an odd term that might represent major elements of our society going in the wrong direction. I've had more to say on that in previous episodes and will again. Continuing on, Tim Scott came out very strong from the start, which surprised me. He corrected the moderators by telling them that in contrast to their question where they asked him if, as president, he would fire the auto workers who are currently on strike, he said, well, obviously you can't fire as president anyone in the private sector. That was a good reframe and correction, and I couldn't tell whether they were actually unaware of that reality or were trying to lead him. Okay, Ramaswamy came out with a personal story from the start, which I thought was hokey, and I was glad he didn't stay with it too long, about his mom working long hours and hard work, etc. Americans don't want to hear that stuff anymore in politics. And in response to the auto workers, he came alive very quickly and said that while he sympathized with them and so forth, that victimhood is a choice. And he's addressing a very important phenomenon in America, not just in the auto workers, but in our culture. I am so refreshed to hear a candidate like this finally able to speak in this manner. Mike Pence came out from the start um, really as a weirdo. That's what he is. He's a strange guy. He was pretty uh, strong on his one-liners, but they're running out, and I think he's done. I can't wait for him to get off the stage. Uh, Nikki Haley had an interesting opening presentation, but then she shifted to a rather vicious stance mid-debate, which I'll address uh, a little bit later. She was a pragmatic opener. And she was obviously advised to show technical and detailed solutions to problems as opposed to becoming idealistic like the rest of the folks on stage. For example, when giving her opener, she talked about eliminating the gas tax specifically as a method of amplifying and supporting the Detroit automakers. And this was in contrast to the others who spoke in terms of idealism. Burgum is an interesting guy. I thought he was done from the first debate. I wondered why he was on stage. At least Asa Hutchinson isn't on there. Uh, but Bergen was interesting. Quite frankly, this is a man who would have been elected president in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He's a class act. 
He came out strong, and he had to ram his way in to talk about energy. He realized he wasn't going to get asked many questions, so he rammed his way in. And uh, frankly, I think he'd make a great energy secretary. It's funny how the right man for the job is never the elected man. Why is that that we need cunning candidates? Why can't we elect people like Calvin Coolidge anymore? That should be the question that you ask yourself, or at least it's one I ask myself. Uh, In any election cycle, who's the most like Coolidge? In case you haven't guessed it, he's my favorite president, which I'll talk about at some other time. Chris Christie came out after Trump right away, uh, and that's his, that's his tact. Um, and it works in, in some extent, to some extent. Uh, somewhere around this period, uh, the Univision moderator referred to Ramaswamy as Trump's protege. I thought that was odd. Now, I don't see why the fact that Ramaswamy can be characterized as a populist makes him Trump's protege. It makes him a populist. Uh, Ron DeSantis came out as he usually does in his opener, which was like a milk dud. He's like Mr. Magoo. Uh, He did have one good opening line, which was, spare me the tears for the auto workers. I couldn't agree more. You'd be surprised to know how much they make and how much their benefits are, as well as how much the unions pull in off their wages. And it never seems to stop them from cyclically trying to hold up the auto workers. Anyhow, DeSantis made a concerted effort to run on his record in Florida throughout the entire debate. And, okay, past the introductions and on to the main part of the debate. Bergam again tried to ram in, and then they talked about the border. Nikki Haley came in as a pragmatist again, which I think she probably was advised to do in order to appear masculine, uh, in contrast, perhaps, to some of the men on stage, um, and to be pragmatic with solutions rather than antics. And they began talking about China. Ron DeSantis remarked on the cultural power of China, The problem here with his remark was that he talked about the Confucius Institute, and most people don't know what that is, and they associate the term Confucius with something positive. But the Confucius Institutes are educational institutes around America who are provably linked to Chinese spy operations. He should have mentioned that just briefly. Ramaswamy, in a shift to border dynamics, emphasized ending birthright citizenship. He came out in this moment with a bit of an iron fist, which I like to see from him. He has obviously been advised or is doing this on his own volition as a way of combating the visual impression of him as this kind of wiry, thin guy, uh, and he wants to make sure we know that he's strong. And so uh, he's sure that the people see him as, as strong when he comes across as clear, and that's his tact. So that's good advice if he's getting it from his own strategy or from advisors. Tim Scott really surprised me here because he came after Ramaswamy Uh, spontaneously. Up until this point, Tim Scott had been this laid-back, soft-spoken guy, but he came after Ramaswamy and then essentially started to attack his character. And at that moment, it was first blood, and everyone devolved uh, throughout the debate. That's what happens. Okay. Ramaswamy, in defense of himself, made a subtle mistake. Not a huge one, but a subtle one. In responding to Scott, he said, I agree with Ron DeSantis several times. The problem with this is that he indicates to the listener or viewer that I'm leaning on daddy. Ron DeSantis is bigger than me. I'm getting credibility from him. Okay, not a huge mistake, but something for their campaign to keep in mind. Pence came after Ron DeSantis, interestingly, and tried to attack his record on Florida. It didn't go very far. They all turned back to Ramaswamy and essentially started a pile on. Now, there's something very important for you to keep in mind here, for everyone to keep in mind. I believe they are attacking Trump through Ramaswamy. He has been identified as a populist, and Trump obviously is the main populist in the country. 
And so I think they are trying to attack Trump without risking alienating the Trump base. That's why they're all piling on Ramaswamy so heavily. And then we turn to crime. Chris Christie failed in his response, and then he took a swipe at Donald Trump. It didn't work very well. At one point, he spoke directly to the camera with a silly grin on his face as if he was speaking right to Donald Trump. It was good entertainment value, but a bit schoolyard. DeSantis came out like a goober again on crime, but he did talk about his record and was pragmatic, and he landed fine. Then on police shortages, Nikki Haley fell flat with a basic response that made no impression. On to gun ownership, Borgham made a mistake by saying that the liberal left, etc., were opposed to gun rights. And you don't want to do that because at this moment, if you're in the GOP as a strategist, you want to align classical liberals with conservatism because your case is that they're essentially the same thing. And you want to alienate far leftists, but you don't want to help liberals identify themselves with leftists. That is a way to actually make them vote Democrat. Okay, Ramaswamy, uh, regarding the fentanyl crisis, made a very good statement and actually went against the idea of him being a populist. He didn't just say what was popular and trending and go with the body politic. He said that we have to take responsibility for our demand side of the problem in consuming the amount of fentanyl that we do in this country and other drugs. It's an excellent point and one that needs to be talked about ad nauseum. And he also talked about reinvigorating our mental health system. Good for him. On to health care. Mike Pence couldn't answer the question as to why he couldn't get rid of Obamacare, asked by Dana Perino. And he diverted into his old wise pastor mode. And then Perino came in after he was done spinning nonsense and said, so Obamacare is here to stay? <laughs> and it was a humorous moment and she got him. Nikki Haley came in and talked about something very important regarding health care which was fixing tort law problems that get doctors hung up in malpractice lawsuits. And I thought to myself, at that moment, Democrats never talk about anything like this. The Democrat debates are completely lacking substance. It's just, how are you going to make things fair by taxing the evil rich? That's all they ever talk about. They don't address things like tort law. And so keep that in mind as you watch the various primaries, although there probably won't be one uh, leading up to the general for the Democrats. And then they started to talk about government spending and how the government is always increasing prices in Borgham's view. And I thought that was a very good moment for him where he was echoing Thomas Sowell's data or anything the government gets involved in. It actually increases prices. It doesn't do anything regarding balancing the budget. Moving on to education, I thought everyone missed an opportunity here, as did the moderators, to describe another big problem, which is that not everyone needs to go to college. I have an idea for you. If you're thinking about majoring in gender studies or feminist studies, go be a plumber or an electrician, and you'll make $150,000 a year if you're good at it, or more. More seriously, though, there are excellent journeyman trades that people need to know are valorized and need to be platformed. At that moment in the debate, the moderators brought up the minority underperformance academically throughout the country and essentially asked everyone about this, and everyone dodged it. Nobody wants to talk about the minority academic skills gap and the urban skills gap. It's a, a very difficult topic to address, obviously, and they ran from it pretty quickly. Uh, Tim Scott had a nice win here. When the moderators asked about Ron DeSantis's educational department, uh, describing controversially and stupidly, in my opinion, that there were positive in impacts of slavery for the slaves in terms of them gaining some sort of um, uh, occupational knowledge uh, during their time as slaves, um, you know, that was just such a stupid thing to include. 
in, in the educational uh, syllabi in Florida. And Tim Scott said as much. It was just a stupid thing to include, and they should have just deleted it. And he's right. Now, how, how well aware Ron DeSantis was of that particular sentence in one syllabus in the state of Florida, he probably wasn't. But the point is, Ron DeSantis's position should be, that's a stupid statement. Uh, let's take it out. Okay, then gender and transgenderism came up. Ramaswamy is trying to make himself extremely clear on this matter, as opposed to people like Donald Trump who sort of stumble through it. And he makes the point here that uh, he believes that children should not transition ever in any circumstance and that um, a transitioning in early, early life is associated with mental illness. Um, that's his position. And I don't remember other people's position on it. Perhaps that's more of the point. They weren't clear. Univision came in here, the moderator from Univision, said something rather abhorrent in my view. Uh, she came out and said that the violence against the LGBTQ community is nine times higher than the general population. And nobody caught this, and Pence was the first to respond. He completely dodged it because he's not aware of the data, obviously. The premise is not true, as far as I can tell from a cursory review of the data that the increased in, increase in crime rates in the LGBTQ community uh, is quite murky. It's not clear at all. And when I've reviewed this again in a cursory data, I have not found an increase in crime against that community. Any increase in, in crime and, and death rates seems to be due to prostitution. Now, most people are unaware of this, and I'm going to look into this very deeply and come to you with an expose of the actual data. But no one there on stage was able to say, wait a second, what are you talking about? Nine times the violence rate. Where, where is this coming from? So they missed an opportunity. They need to get more versed on that because um, distortions on this issue lead to really sick things like the trans day of reckoning and so forth, which has been held over the past few years and it's a really, really sick and, and, and vile ideologies arising out of a distortion of the data. Okay, continuing on to China, Ramaswamy addressed his newness for a moment before he answered the substance of the question and that he needs American, he needs to build America's trust and so forth. He did a great job in that moment, um, uh, identifying himself as perhaps overly ambitious and so on and younger, and uh, it, it was a good moment. Nikki Haley made a turn here. And she was no longer pragmatic, and she became catty and vicious. And she really assassinated her own character. Um, she tried to attack Ramaswamy, and she essentially tried to point out that he was an empty suit, etc., by way of his using TikTok, and uh, made that into some sort of alliance with China. Yeah, because he's had business dealings with China, he's made millions of dollars and has been extremely successful, and uses TikTok. Yeah, that's apparently evidence that he's with China. Uh, folks, you can't be like QAnon here. Please don't let this get going. Ramaswamy is a decent person, and using TikTok is not evidence of someone's cahoots with China. It was a totally ridiculous point. It was like a cartoon. Then the Russia-Ukraine war came up, and essentially the candidates could be separated into the following. Idealism versus pragmatism, again. The question was really, should we uphold the Western Front uh, against, uh, against Russia at all costs because it is our ethical duty versus can we realistically engage in a proxy war? Those are the two positions. Uh, Haley failed again here, attacking Ramaswamy, calling him a fan of Putin. And she just really came out absurdly. Chris Christie tried to represent Donald Trump and spoke directly to him in the camera in this moment. 
which was a humorous moment. And uh, again, I, I mentioned it was sort of schoolyard-like, but it, it kind of worked. Burgum came across directly after Christie here as a classy guy. It was an interesting uh, conflict or contrast, I should say. He was like an anachronism from another time. And it was, uh, it was quite enlightening. I thought to myself in this moment, if the nominee was anybody other than Donald Trump, this election would probably be a lockup. It would probably be a guaranteed GOP win. Some of you might not want to hear that, but it's true. His character is so divisive that it unnecessarily, as far as I can tell, loses the GOP votes. And if you are a strategist for a, the GOP or you want someone other than Biden to win, uh, I would think you wouldn't want to have an unnecessary division in the, in the country that loses independence votes. And that's the voting block. The independent-minded voters, the non-affiliated voters, provably do not vote for Donald Trump in the numbers that he would need to win a general election. Now, it's possible that they are uh, as much or more concerned about Joe Biden's decaying mental stance, and maybe that will be a, a cause for win in the GOP. I'm not sure. The question is, do you want to take that chance? Okay, Pence here closely came off trying to use a phony wisdom stance and talked about the main point that he has, which is there are some true conservatives who walk with Jesus Christ every day and pray and they've got real character versus populists on stage, and he's trying to make that a dividing point. I think it's silly. Inflation came up, and here again there was a major missed point. No one brought up the following. Our inflation markers used by the Biden administration and all other administrations prior and up to this point are not good markers of inflation because they don't keep in mind and take into account the increase in prices of gasoline, of fossil fuels, which are the undergirders of all prices of all things. Most of you don't know this. It's an insane reality. Our markers of inflation uh, use everything but the things that actually matter like petroleum prices, prices per barrel. Okay, more to come on that at some point. Uh, Haley came in and again tried to show aggression, and I think she's probably being advised to do this, to come across as uh, what her advisors see as masculine, which is, uh, I guess in their view, vicious and some sort of attack mode. But that's not masculine. If you want to make sure people view you as just as much of a man on the stage as the others with gonads, then you don't just attack people and come across as catty, you hold yourself strong like a Margaret Thatcher. Okay, DeSantis finally started to show in this moment uh, on inflation uh, some panache. He, he talked about his military record, and he came across very well. Uh, there was an odd moment where Dana Perino said, right after he mentioned that he was the only person that had served in active combat, that, well, Nikki Haley's husband has served, etc., and then she moved on and stole his thunder. That was an odd moment from Perino. I wonder why she was doing that. Ramaswamy came in very strong and said that the government budget, talking about uh, spending and so forth, should start at $0 and move upward only on what is absolutely necessary in terms of spending. Bergam rounded out this topic positively and talked about his track record in North Dakota. He came across very well in this debate, and I expect that he'll get a percentage point or two bump out of this in subsequent polls. In terms of addressing immigration, Tim Scott had a missed moment. Instead of addressing the matter itself, he used the spotlight to return to a grudge with Haley, where she had gone after him in previous segments. It was a total missed opportunity. And then they ended on the topic, of course, of Donald Trump. Why not? He's on the stage even when he's not. Ramaswamy came up with a great point, which is that Trump's agenda is not his agenda. 
It's the GOP's agenda that the positive aspects of his presidency, as well as his material politics, belong to the GOP and all candidates within it. Uh, Chris Christie did have a good point here, that Donald Trump's character is at least in major part a cause of massive division in the country and political ideological divide. It's hard to bring people together with such a divisive character. Now, agree or disagree with that. You know, you might say to yourself, well, that's because people are stupid, etc. And, you know, I've heard that view from people in the GOP. Okay, fine. The question is, will that be enough to get the independent voters you need to win a general election? I'm skeptical that it will. Now, again, it's possible that Joe Biden is so decayed and has done such a poor job managing energy that people are going to vote for Donald Trump. Fine, maybe that's possible. But as I'd mentioned, if it was anybody else on that stage as opposed to Donald Trump, it wouldn't even be a question. They would win the election. Now, that's keeping in mind uh, it's possible that the Democrats have locked up Pennsylvania by linking driver's licenses automatically to voter registration and then removing barriers for illegal immigrants to get driver's license registrations in that state. It's possible they have locked up the entire the entire election based on that move. We'll have to see. Okay, so there we have it. That's my post-debate analysis. I'll have another post-debate analysis with Professor Wilford Riley I'm recording over the weekend and will release next week. Folks, if you like what I'm doing here, go to realclearpodcast.com and subscribe, and you can comment on all the posts. All right, thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Be well.